We are live. Welcome, everybody. Let's just, uh, if you're listening to this on uh, on recorded, fast forward about a minute while we get organized here. See if we can have some people join in on the live stream here on YouTube. I don't know what you're going to drink today with me, but I will be drinking a Lefroig quarter cask uh, scotch. Welcome to whoever joined. Say hello in the uh, content, uh, sorry, in the comments. Just giving people a chance to show up. All right, let's start this thing off. Episode 171, Martinis with Scott. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Hope everybody had a great uh, end of summer. If you're in North America, Labor Day weekend uh, it was certainly great around my house. Uh, we had a lot to do, including horseback riding and mountain biking and all sorts of good things. But it's good to be back in the fall. Feels like business restarts right now. Cheers. Hope you're having a great week. Let's get right into it because we're on a I'm on a timeline today, so we'll see if maybe we're going to be quicker than normal. Negative thinking. For those of you that follow my Instagram account, uh, which is at Martinis with Scott on Instagram, I'm doing a daily live touch base. I started this week, and what I've been starting on is a series on how to combat negative thinking. And we've talked many times on the Martinis with Scott channel about negative thinking and the evils of it and specifically that the, the the reason i think that positive thinking is so effective uh in your life and in your business is that it forces you to not be negative it's not so much the positivity that helps it's the absence of negativity i'm just trying to get this camera to a good spot here the absence of negativity which is really important i've used the example before uh, a professional athlete going out to do battle to compete in their sport does positive thinking guarantee that they're going to win well of course not it doesn't guarantee that they're going to win but if negative thinking does that guarantee they're not going to lose yeah probably uh, sorry does that guarantee that they're going to lose probably if you start your sport your competition with the thought that you can't possibly win then that's a self-fulfilling prophecy so it's the absence of negativity that's important and i was thinking the other day, maybe we can do a series, maybe we can do a talk about how, what are practical ways to not be negative. I've reinforced over and over the power of positivity, the power of not being negative. Well, what are practical ways to not think negative? And um, <clears throat> the first thing that you need to do, I think, as one strategy to not have negative thinking is to recognize what happens when you are thinking negative which is what I would call a negative thinking death spiral. A negative thinking death spiral. I borrowed the phrase death spiral from finance, uh, where you can have a death, a death spiral of convertible debt instruments. But I think there's a negative thinking death spiral as well, right? And so if we can start with the why, if we can understand what the problem with negative thinking is, maybe then we can find a way to not think negatively. So here's here's what I think. I think that the death spiral, <clears throat> you in your life or in your business or anyone in their life, me in my life, in my business, if I'm facing a difficult, complex problem and I'm thinking negatively, I'm waking up in the morning, I'm feeling like things are getting worse every single day, I'm thinking negatively, negatively about that problem, <clears throat> right? So, if I'm negative about that, as opposed to positive, 
then what is the first thing that happens? Well, I have doubt. I have doubt in my ability and in this situation to be able to change. So I've got situational doubt. This problem is too complex. It's never going to affect, uh, be fixed. There's no end in sight. It is a situational doubt uh, that drives some of that negativity or that is spawned by that negativity. And a self-doubt, a self which is my ability, your ability to solve the problem that you're in. This is really complex. It's really bad. I'm never going to be out of it. I'm not good enough. I can't handle this, right? So you've got this problem. You're thinking negatively. And now you've got these doubts that start creeping in. You have a lack of confidence. And what does that lead to? It leads to freezing, to indecision, to inaction, right? All the same thing. You're doubtful. You're not sure you can do this. There is no end. And so you're going to you're going to not make decisions and you're not going to take action. You're going to be frozen. And what does that lead to? Right? So you've got doubt leads to inaction or indecision that leads to worry, right? You're up at night. You're not sure what you're doing. Things are getting worse every day. Um, and you have this worry about this particular issue or situation that you're in nonstop, which leads to what? It leads to anxiety. It leads to stress, which ultimately leads to health concerns and it also leads to the problem getting worse because if you don't fix problems, they just tend to they just tend to get worse on their own. So there's a path that the problem is on, that the situation is on. You're not dealing with it. It is getting worth, uh, worse, which brings about the cycle, right? This is the spiral, the death spiral that I talk about because if the problem gets worse, go back to the beginning of what we talked about. Yesterday, you had a problem that you doubted you were capable of fixing. You had situational doubt and self-doubt. Well, now, today, you've got a worse problem because it got worse. Did you get any better? You didn't get any better. You still doubt your problem. Now you your capability. Now you really doubt your capability to be able to fix this problem, and you go through the routine again. Now I got a bigger problem. I'm doubtful that it's going to be fixed. I'm doubtful of my ability to deal with it. I still don't make a decision because I'm even more frozen than I was yesterday. I worry more. I have more anxiety. I have more stress. I have more health problems. And what happens? Problem gets worse yet again tomorrow. That is what I'm calling the negative thinking death spiral. And if you can understand that, maybe if you can consciously understand that and feel it, then maybe that gives you motivation to try to break out of that cycle. I think that you need to know that you're in this problem before, in any problem, before you can fix that problem. So my first strategy with negative thinking is to understand that it'll kill you. It's going to make the problem worth, worse, and it may literally kill you, and you need to think, you need to find a way to think positive. The other problem with negative thinking, just an understanding its consequences, um, we've talked about, I've just talked about the death spiral. The other one is missed opportunity. And I've talked about that before on the Martinis with Scott show. If you, everybody has a frame of reference, they have a filter, a mental filter that they look through, a confirmation bias, right? And one of those filters, uh, there's all sorts of filters that you can look through, uh, but one of them would be a positivity filter and one of them would be a negativity filter. If you just look at a situation and automatically look at it in a negative light, this could be in your life, it could be in business. As a leader, if you look at it negatively through a negative filter right off the bat, well, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities. If you look at it through a blind positivity uh, filter, in other words, unrealistic, you're going to get killed, right? You need to find a way to be positive 
but with a sense of realism. But if you're just negative, which we see so many times, then you're going to lose opportunities and you're going to evaluate things differently. I told you uh, we've walked through the Novani stainless turnaround story, uh, which started in June 2020. And uh, for those asking, by the way, I know people ask me all the time. We've had lots of steel in recently. Production is going great. We're clearing back orders. Um, and I'll give you a, a more thorough update on that probably in a few weeks. Uh, just because I have a bunch of shows lined up, so we don't have time to talk about it right now. But when I bought this company, it's a company that had been shut down, a manufacturing company had been shut down for COVID. It had a history of losses. It was heading into receivership. Uh, it had way too much debt. Uh, revenue had dropped by about two-thirds from a his historical high. Um, it hadn't paid its uh, government remittance taxes, which um, is a serious issue. There is... Uh, an environmental lawsuit. There was a million things that would cause anybody with a negative viewpoint to look at that and go, whoa, I'm not touching that with a 10 foot pole. But if you have a le level of expertise and you have a positive viewpoint, like, and, and the positive viewpoint is not, let's ignore all those things. The positive viewpoint, the positive filter on this is, okay, there's my list of all my problems. There must be a way to get through those, right? There must be a way to fix those problems and you're able to create a strategy to, to come up with a solution, which we have done and so far has been a tremendous success. If you have a negative filter, you're never going to go down that, that thought uh, exercise. You're never going to be open to the opportunity that is in front of you. So that's the reasons not to be negative. If you're looking for strategies to not think negatively, I think understanding understanding the dangers of negative thinking would be step number one. What is another idea, another strategy to not, uh, to break the negative thinking cycle, to not go down the death spiral that I've described? Well, one of them would be winning momentum. What the hell is winning momentum, Scott? And why is your Martinis with Scott cha uh, YouTube channel called the show? A show about winning momentum in life and in business. It's because to me, winning momentum is a superpower. And I describe to the management teams and to the employees that I work with in troubled businesses, I describe it to them all the time. What I really want here is when you wake up in the morning, I want you to feel like today is going to be a little bit better than yesterday. Today will be a little better than yesterday. Because what you're doing now is every day you wake up with dread, with a sense of darkness and dread and weight on your shoulders, and you think that today is going to be worse than yesterday. That's negative momentum. You need to have positive momentum. You need to have winning momentum. How do I define when a turnaround is over? Is it when the company's made a bunch of money? When is a crisis over? When is the COVID pandemic over? over okay and you have to make your own decisions on that you have to define what a turnaround means but for me it's when things start to get better every day even a little bit and if you want to break your negative uh, thinking you need to start winning you need to start creating positivity if you uh so how do you do that start small and do it by the way it doesn't have to have anything to do with the problem or situation that you in you're in it could be anything Anything in your life, anything in your business to change your attitude, to change your negativity, start doing something small and win at it, right? So if you read um, Jordan, Dr. Uh, Jordan Peterson's 
uh, 12 Rules for Life, which is sort of a dated volume at the moment from a few years ago, one of his chapters, as I recall, was about get up and make your bed in the morning. Just do something. Make your bed in the morning. And now you've accomplished something. That was your goal for the day. It's not more grand than that. You've accomplished something. You've made your bed in the morning. And tomorrow, you make your bed and do something else. Not in the book, but maybe make some breakfast, right? A healthy breakfast. Do something. Maybe go for a walk, right? Do something small that you can accomplish and just keep adding to it a little bit every day, changing your routine slowly, and you will find you will find really quickly that this is a superpower and in very short order changes your attitude. I walk into a troubled business, if it's a manufacturing business, 100% of the time, 100% of the time the back plant is filthy. Uh, maintenance isn't done, the sanitation's not done, they stopped cleaning two years ago. Well, what's a really easy thing for me to do? I can either talk to sanitation or hire new sanitation and clean the plant. There's a small win that makes people happy when they come in. They're happier to be in the environment. They see the change. When we had at Navani Stainless, one of my companies, we were shut down this summer for a lack of commodity supply as the global supply chains are, you know, totally fucked up. Um, did I lay everybody off? No. I kept them employed, and we recleaned and painted a bunch of the back plant manufacturing facility to try and make that a, a better environment and to keep the momentum going. So important. Keep the momentum uh, going. So one thing I always look to is cleaning the plant, basic maintenance, get the machines fixed up. I'm looking at uh, we're close to closing on a transaction right now where there's there's 10 presses in there and, you know, three of them sort of work and maybe four sometimes. Um, but, you know, prior owners did no maintenance on these things. They and And it's really driven the business down. So we've got a hyper focus on that. And in a team environment uh, where culture matters, you see these small wins, you see progress, and it starts to change your negative thinking into a sense of excitement, into a positive thinking in that tomorrow, things will be a little better than they were today. Do something. Do something and win. Get off the couch and go get a haircut. Get off the couch, go for a walk. Do some exercise. I have found in my life when I'm just hit with a bunch of problems and complex situations. Sometimes the best thing for me to do is to go clean the garage. Like just forget about the business. Just go do something else that's orderly, uh, brings a sense of order because you're dealing with chaos when you're dealing with trouble and negativity. Positivity has a sense of order and direction just to go do something else. I found that by accident. By the way, I don't, I didn't think about that, but often Often when I'm, uh, if I'm feeling a sense of overwhelmed or trouble, I just go do something else as a way to escape and you just come back refreshed, you come back positive and you have a whole new light on the situation that you're dealing with. So understanding why negativity is bad is one strategy, right? Because you have to be able to define your problem and be motivated to change that. Winning momentum, I think is a superpower. I just think it's an absolute uh, superpower. Uh, number three, Number three ideas, by the way, I had about eight or nine ideas that I'm, I'm putting out on Instagram. I'm going to do, I think, four of them today, and I will talk to you about the rest of them probably next week. Uh, count your blessings. Count your blessing is the one that I did on Instagram today. You know, I'm in the turnaround business 
and so I see trouble companies come to me all the time and and you know almost always the advisor the accountant the lawyer and the management team owner of the business themselves they come in and they're almost sheepish they're shy and they say like I, I we should have come to you a year ago. I'm almost certain there's nothing you can do with this business now. We're so screwed. We're going to go bankrupt, and uh, there's nothing you can do. And as a turnaround advisor, if you talk to most people in my in my industry, they will look at that business and they'll say, "Ah, uh, yeah, well, there's probably another six months here. There's probably another 12 months here before this company is absolutely toast." Because I have a different frame of reference and experience than the accountant or the management team. Uh, may have. They haven't been through 30 years of dealing with troubled companies. What's the point of that? The point of that is things are never as bad as you think. Things are never as bad as you think. And also, by the way, things are never as good as you think. Okay. Best to go through life with a sense of uh, levelness. When shit's going on around you, there's always positivity that can be found. When things are, uh, when things are amazing and everything is clicking, it's not because you're amazing. All right. It's just that's the way things go. They go up, they go down. Better to have a sense of, of level headedness as best that you can. And things are never as bad as you think. How do you remind yourself of that? Look for positives. Count your blessings. Doesn't have to be within the situation that you're in. You can count your blessings about other things. Your business is shit. You're in trouble. The bank's coming after you. But I have my health. I have a family that loves me. Um, I've got whatever, like whatever is important to you, you count your blessings and you start to realize that the situation that you're in isn't everything. It's just not everything. Okay. Which leads to my second point within count your blessings is that you need to recognize, uh, cognitively, intellectually, if you can recognize that your problem is not the whole universe. Your problem is situational. It re it's relative. It's relative to where you are now, and it's relative to where you want to go, right? If you were somewhere different, the problem that you're in probably wouldn't matter, okay? So if you're, say, locked down in COVID, I'm just making that up without any ideas in mind, but I'm just trying to come up with an example off the top of my head here. If you're locked down in COVID, why is that a stress? Why is that a problem? Why is that creating negativity? Right. Well, the reason is it's because you don't want to be locked down in COVID. But if you were able to turn that into a positive to change your goal to deal with the current situation, you'll be able to have more of a sense of positive positivity. Now, I know that's hard 18 months later, but at the beginning of a lockdown, you could have said to yourself, well, here's a good time to do some online training. Here's a good time to start a healthy diet, do some exercise, do things that are different and and use it as an opportunity turn the lemons into lemonade so to speak okay and, and the point of that is that your your problems the stress and the negativity that you're having in your current situation is situational it relates to where you are now and where you want to go most of the time that's the case and how do you break that well count your blessings count your blessings just remind yourself yeah i have this problem but I have my health, I have my family, or I don't have that, but I've got a great business, or whatever it is. There's always positives in your life that you ought to look to, and you ought to count your blessings every single day, or as often as you need to. I have to do that a lot. I have to do that a lot personally, <clears throat> not because I don't have an awesome life. I do, but that's exactly the point. 
you get so micro focused on the shit that you're in today on the last phone call where the person that yelled at you or the negative comment on whatever, right? I need to step, I need to step back often. I need to say, Scott, come on, look at the life that you live. Look at the people around you that love you. Look at all of these things and how fortunate you've been. You're an idiot to think negatively about this specific situation. Get your head out of the ass, so to speak, and move forward. So there's strategy uh, number, what number was that? Number three, strategy number four. Talked about this way back at the beginning of the COVID crisis. Limit the time that you think and work on negative things. Okay, so let's uh, let's do this in a business context context as opposed to a uh, business uh, as opposed to a life context. Okay, because it's easier just to describe in a in a business context. You are the leader, the president, the manager of a troubled organization, and every day. Every single day you wake up in the morning and you know for a fact there's going to be probably 20 angry phone calls from creditors that you haven't paid looking for specific details on when you're able to pay them, the timelines, the amount of money. They're looking for answers that you don't have because you are in trouble. You've got customers calling you looking for the product or the service that you provide and you haven't been able to deliver. Maybe you're about to miss payroll. You have all of these issues. Your bank is on you. Uh, your partners are on you. Um, your management team around you is on you. Maybe you got trouble at home because things aren't going well in business. People always carry that home with them. So now you got problems at home as well. And what do people do? What do managers do in that situation? They come to work and they hunker down and they work 12, 14 hours a day on these negative, negative, soul-draining, soul-sucking issues. That's what they do. And how many, how many of the 12 to 14 hours a day are they productive? How many? And I would suggest to you, not many, like an hour, like two hours, tops. That's how productive they are, okay? And I would suggest to you that the rest of the time, they're avoiding they're organizing, they went for, uh, they're talking to, they're sharing their misery with a counterpart down the hall, right? They're having management meetings to talk about stuff, but not actually doing anything, right? They're focusing their brain on the negative things for 12, 14 hours a day, but the productivity on those negative things is like an hour, two hours a day. Here's a better strategy Work your ass off on negative things for two hours or one hour, whatever you're productive at. Work your ass off, but then stop. A hard stop. You're not doing anything more negative. Have a limited amount of time and have a, a time of the day when you're most productive and when you're most, mental, most mentally capable of dealing with those troubled things, right? So for me, I have found now it's first in the morning. It used to be at midnight. Now... I'm most capable of dealing with these, these problems that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis first thing in the morning. I get up, I do my banking, I do things I have to do. And then I've got two, three hours where I'm just all over it. I'm super productive, I'm dealing with problems. And then in the afternoons, I just start to wane, like I'm over it, I'm over it. What do you do with the rest of the time? Do productive things that make you happy, okay? You got into business for a reason. It wasn't to deal with an angry bank. It wasn't to deal with an angry creditor. Shut that crap off. You're not dealing with it anymore today. You did your two hours. 
Now that goes to tomorrow's trouble two hours. And for the rest of your six hours or 10 hours, whatever you work, build your business back, do positive things, get out and sell, build your systems, do the, do the creative stuff that excited you to get into business to begin with. And what you're going to find is you were just as productive on the negative stuff, but you also started fixing the reason that you got into trouble to begin with. Okay. You're not just firefighting. You're actually fixing the problem. And it's just like winning momentum. Okay. You're going to start seeing positive changes and that's going to break the death spiral of negative thinking. So there's four strategies for you. Let me know what you think in the comments. Um, and I'm going to move on to a new topic right now, which is confirmation bias and strategies to break that. Well, one strategy to break that. So let's review. Cheers again, by the way. Let's review for a minute. What is confirmation bias? I already talked about this once uh, earlier in this show. Confirmation bias is the human brain works as a pattern recognition machine. Okay. You recognize patterns. Uh, because that's a shortcut to analyzing all the data of everything all the time. So you look for shortcuts, which means that you decide on the answer first, whatever the situation, you decide on the answer first, and then you seek facts to support what you decided. You don't look at facts and decide. You decide, and then you look for facts that support you. Okay, so it's such a huge issue. You look for facts that support what you already decided. You ignore facts that go against from what you decided. Why is that? Because if you've already decided and you find facts that challenge that, it sends your brain into a tizzy, which is called cognitive dissonance. No one wants to be there. You become a babbling idiot. So you, you ignore facts that are negative to your position or you take those facts that are negative to your position and you twist them, you interpret them differently so that they fit your filter, your cognitive, uh, sorry, your confirmation bias, the way that you look on things, okay? That's what a confirmation bias is. And so if you look at a complex problem, really what I find is it's fascinating to me that people just look at one side. They decide, okay, well, I'm going to do this. Um, that was my decision. And they never really think about the arguments on the other side of that. And to me, to me, um, I never really thought that way. First of all, I would be an idiot, by the way, to say that I'm excluded from confirmation bias. I'm not. We're humans. This is how the brain works. But you can train yourself to try to mitigate that. And again, much like the negative thinking, I think the first step in that is to recognize that this exists. It exists. And you need to, if you know that, well, you can start thinking, hey, am I just being biased on this issue? Or have I really thought this through? Is there another side to this equation? And I, I think I've mentioned to this to you before that as a trained uh, chartered accountant uh, from way back when, I mean, chartered accountancy, when I say way back when, I just say that because it was 30 years ago, uh, but you're trained in debits and credits, credits. Like everything that you do in accounting has two sides to it. Mathematically, you have to, you know, if I, if I brought some money in, well, then that's a debit to cash but I have to have a credit, I have to have another side. So when you think about things as an accountant, for example, you're always trained to think about both sides of the equation by definition, okay? And so I think that when I step into complex um, situations, 
I think I'm just, I just, that's the way my brain works. I think, oh, what are the two sides to that? And they teach you, right, back in university, or you've heard this in reading self-help books or whatever you do, or your parents taught you. You know, a lot of people do a T-chart, right? So you, you sort of draw a T on a piece of paper, and the left-hand side would be your pros, and your right-hand side would be your cons. And you write down everything you think of on both sides. You take a look at your pros, you take a look at your cons, and you you decide um, based on having listed everything down. Well, that's a great discipline. And why do people do that? They do that to try to fight through confirmation bias. So I was inspired by, I often talk to you on this show about uh, Scott Adams. He does a podcast called Coffee with Scott Adams. I listen to it religiously uh, because I like him. And because he teaches about persuasion, which is a tremendous skill. And the other thing he does is he tries to teach his listeners about confirmation bias and different ways to think about things. So he'll take current political news items and present it in a way that maybe you haven't thought about. And I just find that in incredibly valuable for learning how to think. He gets a bad rap because he was, uh, he was analyzing Trump. Um, who he claims to be is a you know the world's best persuader on things, and so people equate Scott with a political bent, which I don't think is true. He's trying to use a current event to teach something to his audience about persuasion. Anyways, Scott Adams the other day was talking about it would actually be really cool if someone came up with a mathematical formula or a mathematical paradigm or a chart for critical thinking, and I thought, yeah, that would be a, a good idea for that. And so I did, just playing around this week. I'm showing you on camera. I'm not expecting you to be able to read that on camera. And I know that a lot of you listen on the audio-only podcast. So that's okay. I'm going to try and post a link to that chart in the, um, in the comments. You can pick it up later. Or go to the Martinez Scott Instagram. I posted a picture of it there. And this is just, a, it's just something I'm playing with to see how it works. So let me describe this to you without you seeing it visually, uh, because I think it's relatively simple. And at least those of you on the audio can get a feel for what this is. So I've called it a confirmation bias buster. We'll see. We'll see if it busts confirmation bias uh, for complex decisions. So a confirmation bias buster for complex decisions. And you have to write down the required decision. And you have to express that in a yes, no. So for example, should I get vaccinated, right? We're at the time of a global pandemic. This is not a show about whether you should get vaccinated or not. And for the for the record, for my risk profile, I am vaccinated, okay? So don't start jumping in on that. Um, but should I be vaccinated? That's a yes, no question. And, and so you would write down in the required decision, should I be vaccinated? They need to put a date on it. So you would put today's date. And I'll tell you the reason for that in a minute. And then the chart's divided into two sections. On the left is the yes. Remember your T-chart? I said the pros would go on the left. And the right is the no. So your cons uh, would go on the no side, okay? And within each, so on the yes side, it forces you to write down your top three reasons relevant to you, just how you feel about it, as to why you should take action on the required decision on the yes, no. Should I do this? Should I not do this? Why should you do it? You write down your top three. And on the right-hand side, you write down your top three reasons why you should not do that. Okay. So you got three yeses and three no reasons. And now on a scale of one to 10, 
you weight every all those six reasons. One being the lowest, I'm not really concerned about that. 10 being the highest, like this is an extreme concern to me. Okay, so now you've got six reasons, three yes, three no. You've got a number beside them and you add them up. So you add up your yeses, you add up your noes, and you subtract them. Okay, so you could have a maximum of uh, 30 on the yes side. So 10 plus 10 plus 10, and you could have a maximum of 30 on the no side, 10 plus 10 plus 10. And you take your yes minus your no, and you come up with a number, a mathematical number. And then what the chart says is in the in the range of plus 11 to 30, okay, so let's say you had your, your yeses came up to uh, 30 and your noes came up to uh, 3, well, then you would have 30 minus 3 is 27. So you would have plus 27. Then you take action. And if you're minus 11 to minus 30, which is the exact same thing but on the opposite side, Let's say your no's were 10 plus 10 plus 10 is 30, and your yeses were 1 plus 1 plus 1 is 3, so now 3 minus 30 is negative 27, then you take no action. And if you're in the middle, if you're minus 10 to plus 10, uh, you, don't, you, don't, you just wait. You just wait, which is why the date at the top is relevant. And so it's a pretty broad, it's a pretty broad bias, if you think about it mathematically, to not taking any action at all. Okay, and so that's the way the chart works. And so I have now tested this chart on a couple of people. And if I hadn't put my uh, my bright podcasting lights in my eyes, I'd be able to read my whiteboard better. But I tested somebody uh, close to me here with the question of should I vax? And I will tell you that this person is a pretty strong anti-vaccinating person um, long before I created this chart. And so this person, uh, I, I wrote this chart out on the whiteboard, and I said, I want to test this. I want to just try this out on you. So this person looked at that. Now you've got three spaces for yeses, yes, I should get vaxxed, and three reasons that I should get vaxxed, and three spaces for reasons I should not be vaxxed, for no. So this person immediately went to the no side because the confirmation bias is no, immediately went there and wrote down my health, right? So number one reason is, you know, she clearly believes that vaccinations are bad for her health, okay? Number two was side effects. Number three was a lack of information. And she just went, wait, my health, side effects, lack of information. And then you could see, you could see that she wanted to write 10 more reasons. But the beauty of this system, one of the, the interesting parts of this system is you're limited to your top three, okay? So then she had to weight those. So she wrote down 10 beside each one, my health, 10 right? Uh, side effects, 10. Uh, no information or lack of information, 10. So on the no side, you have 30. Okay. Now she went to the yes side. Remember her confirmation bias is on the no. She went to the yes side and she stood at the whiteboard for 10 minutes before she wrote anything at all. She was going to walk away. She had no ideas. She had zero idea as to why one or her in particular, not one, ought to get a vaccination even if it's a even if it's a positive is the reason why that she doesn't give much weight to like a one out of ten okay it can't be zero out of ten but even if it's a one out of ten couldn't come up with a reason for 10 minutes at least it was fascinating so finally she wrote down so she wrote down travel right everybody's talking about vaccine passports you're not gonna be able to travel certainly internationally she loves to travel 
there's a legitimate concern of hers to get a vaccine. Okay. Number two, I got to get around my lights here. Um, less hospitalization. It finally occurred to her that people that have vaccines seem to be getting less sick, right? So less hospitalization. Now, I'm not sure if she meant for herself personally or just society in general. Doesn't matter. It has to be relevant to her. And then her last one was fear, right? Get a vaccine. You're not as fearful of the pandemic, um, which I thought was a great answer, by the way. And so, it, but the interesting part is how long it took her to come up with that because she hadn't thought about it because the confirmation bias, you're not considering those facts. You're not considering those arguments. So she wrote down, she wrote down her waiting for that. Travel was an eight, um, less hospitalization was a four and fear was a one for a total of 13. So you got 30 on the no side, 13 on the yes side and 13 minus uh, 30 is negative 17, which falls into the go and do this action, go and do the vaccination, in the court, uh, which was this question. Okay, so that's how the chart works. And here, what I think is so interesting about this experiment. Number one, like I said, it forces you to think about the other side, uh, which with confirmation bias, you never do. It forces you to think about the other side. And you haven't done that. And I think this experiment just just blatantly proves that the fact that that she had to stand there for 10 minutes and try to come up with an idea super smart person in the normal course or always this is just the way the human brain works it forces you to limit your reasoning including the side that you have the confirmation bias on to limit your reasoning to your top three reasons which unlike the t-chart the pro and con t-chart which just allows you to write down everything you possibly think of, in fact, encourages you to write down everything you possibly think about, the top three reasons avoids what uh, Scott Adams and I think others would call laundry list persuasion, okay? Where if you want to persuade something, you want to persuade somebody that Trump is bad, you want to persuade somebody that Biden is bad, whatever it is, and you don't have a great reason, but you have 300 small reasons that if one were to look at eat any one of them, they could blow it out of the water. Okay. They could just, they could find, well, that's not really true because of this, or you're, you're missing the context or whatever. Right. But when you're overwhelmed with a whole bunch of reasons on a list, you just look at that and you just go, Oh, wow, that must be true. That must absolutely be true. So laundry list persuasion, just running a bunch of stuff down. Well, you can laundry, laundry list persuade yourself as well. This limits this to three. Okay, and then it forces you to to rate to weight each one of these things with a numerical number. Okay, and then it goes through this max math exercise. Um, and the other thing I found out so so that's what I like about this system. It's a chart on how I actually think about things, which I think is interesting. Not because I was trained that way, but just the way it worked out. So I think that's cool. And then the interesting thing is. It forces you to admit that your calculation may change over time. And the person that I'm referring to on the vax dope facts decision, when I asked her, she admitted, if I said to you, if I, when I said to her, if you did this again 30 days from now, would you acknowledge that your answer might change? The math might change. And the reason it might change is on your yet on your no side, there were side effects and lack of information. 
obviously, the more people that get vaccinated and the more time that goes by, there will be more information and, and more context. And so there's more data points. And over time, the math might change. And the answer was a resounding yes. I can see how that's true. I can see that if I were to revisit this every 30 days, my math might change. So I thought that was really interesting because if you're just talking to somebody with confirmation bias, you would never get that sort of uh, emission. And the other thing I think it does, if it's relevant, which it is for vaccines and it's not for other decisions, it, it, it forces a sense of empathy with the other side of the argument, right? It's because there's such passion on that particular issue right now. Like you people are idiots. You're not getting vaxxed. You're killing the whole world. You people are, you know, you people are crazy for believing uh, the, the politicians that this is science and everything's safe. To go through this exercise forces you to think about both sides of the equation, which creates a sense of empathy. So I thought that was pretty cool. I'll try and get a link somewhere, check the notes on that. Maybe you can check it out. And again, it's just an experiment. It's a way to help people think about things. And I would love your comments on it. I would love you to maybe try it on something, um, anything, and see see how it works. See how it can be, see how it can be um, evolve to become a better tool for you. So that was all I was going to do today, except I had a, a longtime listener. Um, send me something they wanted me to comment on. And I thought it dovetailed really well with what we've been talking about. So there's a meme or something from the internet here. I printed it out that was sent to me. And I want to read it to you. One of those dangerous, one of the most dangerous ideas. Maybe I need a drink for this because it kind of angers me and triggers me. <laughs> oh, cheers again. Wait. One of the most dangerous idea, ideas that has come about in the last three years is that all points of view are equally valid and that the average citizen, you, are just as equipped to judge which have merit as anyone else. Hear all sides and judge for yourself, quote unquote. No, I do not condone the death of expertise and neither should you. I am an expert in very, very, very few things, but in those areas, my expertise is hard earned through study, work, experience, and aptitude. None of it comes from attending Google University, but unless you are an expert in exactly the same area, your opinion is not just as valid as mine. It's not. And my opinion is not as valid as experts in other fields. That is why they are experts in all caps. So if our leading epidemiologists largely agree that A is correct and a couple of discredited doctors make a video that says B is correct. By the way, is that good persuasion? Is that good persuasion? I want you to think about that. If there's an other side to the argument and the only credence that you give it is that they're discredited doctors, you're not pacing and leading. you got to pace. Okay, we'll talk about that on another show. But this is just a, a crazy way to express something if you're trying to persuade people. A couple of discredited doctors make a video that say B is correct. Our response should not be, I'll listen to both and decide which makes sense to me. Confirmation bias exists, and only fools think they are free of it. To paraphrase Asimov, your ignorance is not the same as their experience. Genuinely smart people look for answers from people who are smarter than themselves. Clearly, this person is smarter than you. 
That's her point. Only ignorant people believe their guess is as good as anyone else's. Only ignorant people believe their guess is as good as anyone else's. All right. I was asked to comment on that. I mean, apart from some of the language, does that sound reasonable to you? What do you think? You can just say so in the comments if you want. Does that sound like a reasonable expert, uh, a reasonable concern that experts are experts? And when you hear about a, an epidemiologist saying this and some rogue doctor saying that, you know, should you be deciding for yourself? I mean, that all sounds reasonable, right? No, no, it's not reasonable. The person who wrote this is either an idiot or is disingenuous. Okay, and I'm going to suggest the person that wrote this is lacking in confidence, um, including in her expertise, and and it's just an idiot. Let's review why. Let's review my thinking on that. You know, the person that sent this to me is a tradesman, uh, uh, trained carpenter, trained in other things, I believe, is super handy, and I would consider to be an expert, certainly in carpentry in many things, but certainly in carpentry. If I said to the guy that sent me this, what do you think about building this, uh, whatever, let's build a desk out of wood, and I want to do it this way and that way, and that person said to me, "Yeah, that's the wrong wood, and you need to design it like this, and here's the problem you're going to have doing that. Would I argue with that person? Would I say, I don't think that's true. I'm going to make my own decision. I don't respect your expertise. I think I'm smarter. No. I'm not going to do that. I literally pay this person to be my expert in that situation. Why would I argue with them? Nobody does that. If I go to my doctor and my doctor says, hey, Scott, your blood sugar is too high. Uh, you need to do something about that. Do I say, thank you, doctor. I'll take that under consideration and make my own decision as to whether my blood sugar is too high. No, nobody does that. That's their expert. They pay that person to tell them that and to tell them some ideas as to what they ought to do about it. If I go to my doctor and he says, God forbid, I have some sort of horrible disease and this, the only way to treat it is like this, do I say, okay, thanks. I'll take that under consideration and figure that out myself. Or do I even say, great, I'm going to go get a second opinion, which is not to say I don't believe you, but it's because I value ex experts so much. I want more expert opinions, not less, right? That's what people do. They value their experts. If I walk into a trouble company to turn around a business and I say to a management team who has got that business in trouble, you need to do this, that, and the other thing, how much tolerance do I have for that management team looking back at me and saying, yeah, this, that, and the other thing's not going to work? Do you think I have a lot of tolerance for that? Or do you think I lay my 30 years of expertise in this area on the table and say, we're going to do this and we're not going to do this. Uh, I'm not going to be here if you don't want to listen to the advice, right? People listen to their experts. They don't disagree with them. They pay them. They pay them. They buy that expertise. This is just such a stupid opinion, okay? Experts are experts. And if you're paying them, you get their advice. If you're not comfortable with it, what do you do? You go get all their expert advice, and then you make your decision based on that. But that's not what this meme is about, is it? That's not what this meme is about. This meme is about is about just general uh, COVID and pandemic information in, uh, in general, and how people are treating this person's expertise 
on that particular area. Let me ask you a question. You're believing your experts, right? You believe your experts. But if a politician stands on CNN or stands on Fox News and tells you that the experts tell us this and you need to do that, do you believe that politician? Was that advice to you from an expert that you know and trust to you personally? Or was it from somebody you have no idea who, a general category called experts, filtered through a politician who has their own agenda and their own confirmation bias, and you're supposed to believe that that's true? Do you believe that quote-unquote expert? If you hear from a news media whose entire business model these days is clickbait, is to take a side, it's to reinforce your confirmation bias so that you buy from them, it's specifically to avoid cognitive dissonance so that you don't buy from them. If they tell you that the experts are telling you to do this, should you believe that news media? Is that your expert telling you to do something? Or is that a chain, again, just like the politician, of, of quote-unquote experts, you have no idea who they are, you have no idea if this is true, the only thing you know for a fact is those news people lie to you every single night. You know that for a fact. They lie to you for what they're trying to sell you every night, and suddenly, because they use the word expert, you're supposed to say, oh yeah, yeah, I believe that expert. You don't even know if an expert exists. If a civil servant, if a government official, a civil servant, um, like someone from the from the defense side of things, but let's just stay on the pandemic. Uh, if Fauci, if Dr. Fauci stands up on TV and has admitted to you that he's lied to you before, he's told you straight up to your face that he lies to you for the greater good. And then he says, do this. Should you believe him or should you question? Should you question that expert who flat out told you that he lies to you? For the greater good, not questioning his motivation. I may have feelings about his motivation, but I'm not questioning his motivation here. I'm not questioning his expertise. I'm not even saying he's lying to you and wrong right now. But he's told you he lied to you before, right? So should you believe that quote-unquote expert? What about this whole follow the science stuff, okay? How do you do that? You know, you're, you're, you're told over and over by the politicians, by the news, by the civil servant experts that you... You got to follow the science. We're just following the science. Well, cool. How do you do that? How does Scott follow the science? How do you follow the science? Are you a scientist? Did you do the study? I didn't. I'm not a scientist. I didn't do the study. So where am I getting the scientific information from? Am I getting it directly from a scientist who explained their methodology and why this worked? Nope, that's not happening. Are you? Nope, that's not happening either. You're getting the science filtered through a journal that was peer-reviewed, hopefully. You're getting it filtered through a journal, which has its own spin and confirmation bias on it, read by a government official or read by a news media, interpreted, maybe rightly, maybe wrongly, but interpreted with their confirmation bias filtered onto it, and then sold to you in short form in a way that they think you might understand, uh, maybe rightly, maybe wrongly, with more confirmation bias on it, and then you hear it with your confirmation bias. Is that science? Is that science that you should believe in? By the way, how often is science right? What the hell does this mean, science? Did you know that scientific, um, that science that is peer-reviewed and is found to be, uh, you know, a theory that works, how do you further test that theory? Well, you do it by by repeating it, 
by other scientists picking it up and say, oh, I'm going to try that in this situation. How often does science fall apart? Well, the answer is roughly 50% of the time. 50% of the time, even established science turns out to not be true. That is the scientific method. Okay? That's the beauty of the scientific method. That's a feature. It's not a bug. It's a feature of the process. It's wrong a lot. And you just evolve. How often have epidemiologists on this current pandemic, how often have they been wrong? Like always. They've just always been wrong, right, on everything, which is not a flaw. It's not a negative. It's a new situation. They don't know. They don't know. So why would you believe the science when you know that so often it's wrong? I don't understand. You could. You, and maybe it's right. You can believe it. But this argument that you should believe the science. And by the way, when you get down to believing the science and believing the experts, which ones? Which ones? This person who wrote this meme uh, of complete crap references the two rogue doctors who may have a different opinion. Okay, let's go with the majority. You know, I don't know if majorities are always right, but let's go with the majorities. Let's say that the expert, the scientist in this particular part of the problem, and this person's response being the disease, um, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that she's absolutely right. Is she also right? Has she also considered other areas of expertise, like child development, like mental health? Okay, so if you look at a if you look at a pandemic and people clearly, you want to know a good way to beat COVID? Never, ever, 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 ever go outside or do anything. Right? You're just gonna you're not gonna give this virus any way to spread. What are the consequences of that? Is is this person the expert that should give you that we should listen to on that particular issue? Or is she a micro expert? She's expert in that one thing. Hey, Brian, how are you? We're almost wrapping up here. You're going to have to watch it on the review, but thanks for joining. Um, is she an expert on just that one thing, right? Because there's a cost. That was the whole point of my breaking my, my cognitive bias buster uh, chart that we just reviewed earlier in the show. There's another side to this. There may be multiple other sides to this. Like I said, what do the experts in child, develop, child development say? What do the experts um, in, in uh, mental health say? Uh, is there not a cost to her area of expertise and the obvious conclusion coming out of that expert? That's the point. It's not that we're not listening to that expert. It's that we have to look at different expertise in complex situations, and then we have to make a decision. And isn't that what leadership is about? Isn't that exactly what leadership's about, is to weigh competing expertise, competing thinking, and coming up with a decision? If that wasn't what leadership is about, why the hell do we have leaders? Why don't we just put the scientists in charge? Right? It just doesn't make any sense. So, to answer your question, you want my view on that? I think it's complete bullshit, and uh, clearly you can see I was triggered by it. All right, big news. Big news, you say? I am recording a uh, special Martinis with Scott. Uh, tomorrow, uh, which should be released Saturday, I have as a special guest uh, coming in. I've I've been given thirty minutes with Maxime Bernier, uh, leader of the People's Party of Canada, which for you non-Canadians is a libertarian uh, party. Maxime is the founder and leader, and uh, we're in the middle of a Canadian federal election, and. Um, 
uh, the, the PPC, the People's Party of Canada, is not a mainstream party. Um, doubtful that there will be a victory in terms of uh, Maxime becoming prime minister. He's a long way off from there. But this is a show about leadership, not a show about politics. There is no doubt in my mind that Maxime, whether you like where he's leading you or not, Maxime is by far the best leader out of all of the candidates. We can learn a lot from him on leadership. And we're going to talk about some of the uh, some of the top debate items because he wasn't invited to the debate. So we're going to get some platform out of him. And we're going to talk about starting a party, a political party as a political entrepreneur, because uh, Maxime launched the, uh, the PPC on, on his own, like literally on his own. And uh, it's a fascinating story. I hope to learn a lot from him. And uh, so, like I said, we're recording that tomorrow, uh, tomorrow afternoon, my time. I begin with 30 minutes, so it's a long form. And um, and then hopefully we'll have it out on the Martinis with Scott channel uh, Saturday morning sometime. And and uh, we want to get it out for people because the election, I think, is only 10 days away. So I didn't want to wait till next week. So that's exciting news. And with that, I think that's everything I have for you today. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for joining me. Cheers again. Brian, we're... Uh, you have any questions, Brian, before we go? Are you good? Anybody else want to ask anything before I hang up? I'm glad you're fine, and uh, I'm going to go. We'll talk to you next week, and uh, check out the uh, Saturday special content uh, if you have an opportunity. Talk to you later.